Hello again, everybody. I am dry. I want to ask you a question. When was the last time, other than maybe this morning, you heard or saw something that would change your life? It happened to me just over a week ago, or at least I thought it had when I saw a video on TikTok. I don't normally do TikTok, I don't fully understand it. If you don't know what TikTok is, don't worry, it's something young people tend to do. It's a little bit like YouTube, only the videos have to be much shorter. Anyway, this TikTok clip was linked in an article I was reading, and I might be exaggerating a little when I say it was going to change my life. It, it was something I saw that I just thought would actually be quite helpful from time to time. It was a 15-second video that showed an incredible technique to get a clove of garlic out from the bulb, completely de-skinned and everything. And I was like, why did nobody ever share this with me before? I don't cook very often, but I do cook in my house. And when I do, I love to throw in a few cloves of garlic. And I hate the faff of having to get, any, is it not just me, the faff of getting the peel off the edge of cloves of garlic, it can just take quite a long time, and your hands, no matter how many times you wash them, they can still smell of garlic for a few days afterwards. I hope, I hope that's not just me that struggles with that. And I thought, this is going to transform my life. It, it literally, it showed somebody sticking a knife in sideways into the clove, I'm not going to show it, and, and twisting it, and pulling it out, and apparently you had a completely peeled clove of garlic. Millions of people had watched this video. I went home and thought, this is great, it must be true. But guess what? <laughs> All your hopes have been dashed because it doesn't work. I tried so many times, but it just, it just doesn't work. All you end up doing is ruining and getting a mushed up clove of garlic with the skin still around it. She must have used trickery or something, camera trickery, because it, it Obviously, it doesn't work. That's why we're not showing it. I don't want her to get any more views. <laughs> not that I'm bitter or anything. But I'm not surprised it was so popular, really. Um, we're often, aren't we, our human nature, we're on the lookout for easy wins, for quick wins, for solutions to problems that we face in life. It's virtually what every single advert we watch and are bombarded with throughout the day, try to do, say, do this. Your life will be easier, it will be better, it will be simpler. But I think a lot of them are a lie. And this is a question that is actually at the heart of that reading that we heard today from Hebrews. The writer of this letter is answering or trying to address questions that Christians really early on were facing. What does it mean when we come to faith in Jesus? Are we just now on an easy street with everything sorted that we don't have to worry or do anything? What should our response be? And the writer throughout this whole, the whole book of Hebrews, but even in, particularly in our reading, he kind of flicks between two points. He wants to remind people of the beauty of the sacrifice of Jesus, of who he was. 
But he does that and then he warns people. He says, but that's awesome. So it's transforming. Don't fall back into your old ways. Don't just believe it and then go back to old ways. And then he says, he encourages people. He says, when you believe in it, this is what you should be moving towards. This is how you should be going on with your journey with Christ, going deeper into him. I'm just going to unpack that really a bit today. It's a question I think all Christians struggle with as we go on with our journey. It's like we come and we trust in Jesus and it's an awesome solution to our problem. But what should our response to that be? And I don't know if you noticed when, um, during the reading the number of times the phrase let us happened in there. I'm going to look at what those let us are in response. They're like things that we should do as response. But what are we doing in response for? The first thing, verse 22, says, come. Let us draw near to God with sincere hearts and full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from our guilty conscience. What's come, I need to just, before we look at this, I'm just going to remind you of what's come before. The first sort of few verses of our reading, the writer had been reminding them of the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. And even before that, the writer had been talking about the perfect, once for all, sacrifice that Jesus made of himself on the cross. He's reminding them that it is so perfect, it washes you clean. The writer is going through temple imagery that the um, Jewish community, that's from Israel, would have totally understood. You know, before Jesus came, the most holy place you could go was the inner part of the temple. And it was so holy, it was hidden behind a curtain. High priests could only go in, in there after um, doing full purification rituals. And back in the day, they also used to tie a rope around their bat, their waist when they went in there and leave the end dangled out. So if something happened when they were in there, either they went in there unworthily or struck down by God, or they just had, I don't know, a medical episode or something or fainted because of the glory of God was in there. Nobody else would be able to go in, so they'd be able to pull them back out through the rope around there. That's how awesome it was to be there, this place where God's presence was said to reside. And the writer of the Hebrews is saying, actually, in Jesus, when you come into you can just walk into that place. He's saying, well, actually, you don't need to walk in that place. We are in that place. When we come to Jesus, we have walked into the very presence of God. It's an incredible sacrifice. It's mind-blowing good news. But you can also imagine, can't you, some of the thoughts that are perhaps going on in the minds back then, and they're probably thoughts that we have as well when we come to Well, if I don't need to go to the temple anymore to make a sacrifice to be clean because Jesus done it, then that's awesome, isn't it? I mean, I don't need to bother with going to the temple anymore and meeting up. You can see people's minds naturally thinking that. And that is a question that early Christians were grappling with. But the writer is saying, yes, we might not need to go into to the temple to have the sacrifice anymore. But in this, it doesn't come across quite as strongly in the English. He's saying you still need to draw near to God, to put an effort into coming to him. 
and coming to him, you come to him in confidence of what Jesus has done. I wonder how many of you have uh, made a New Year's resolution. I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up here, but quite a lot of people in New Year's say, right, I'm going to get fit. Um, I'm no longer a member of gym, but I have been in um, the past quite a lot. And I always used to hate going to the gym in January because they were always really full of people that have made a New Year's resolution to get fit and go back in. And what you do when you join a gym, don't you, is you, you pay, you get a nice membership card and it lets you, lets you sort of go in. And you carry this gym card around with you. And kind of what some of the early Christians were doing was like they were thinking, actually, I've made, I'm carrying this gym membership card around with me. But it was no longer January, it was like February or March. And they, were no, they had the card, but they weren't cashing it in. They weren't making use of it. They weren't going and using it and being part of the community that that card was supposed to uh, give them to make them fit. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is hinting at here when he says, yes, Jesus is perfect. His sacrifice was once and for all. And you can have confidence that you will be sprinkled clean. No, nobody is excluded. In him, anybody is welcome to come and go into that holy place but you need to make use of your membership card. You need to come to him, to draw near to him. And the next thing he goes on and says is, uh, is about commitment in verse 23. He says, let us hold unswervingly to hope. We can be a bit like I was with a garlic video in our faith, I think. If things aren't easy, we can give up and walk away. I cooked last night. I did not use garlic. It's too distraught. Did you know there are so many verses in the Bible, so many that I couldn't even, give a, even attempt to make a list or tell you how many there are, about not giving up, keep going, look to hope. Perhaps, I think one of the, in the early church when the, the writer was writing this letter, there would have been people thinking, oh, it's going to be, come to Jesus, it's going to be really easy, life's going to be so simple after this, not going to be any problems because Jesus has won the victory. And then when persecution or, or troubles or life wasn't as easy as they were expecting, they thought, well, actually, is, is it real? Should I keep on going? I think that's why Jesus warned us so many times to hold unswervingly, to expect difficult times in your life. God never promised us an easy life when we come to him. But what he did promise was that he would be there with us through them and would ultimately have victory over all of them. I think we've used this uh, analogy before, but I, I don't know if you know, that's a picture from one of the, the bridges where loving couples go and uh, they etch their names into it and they padlock, um, the, um, they put the padlock on the bridge and they throw away the key. It's like a symbol of their unending love and faithfulness. Well, the writer is saying to the church, actually, when you come to God, Lock yourselves, commit onto that hope, onto that bridge that Jesus has given us of the closest we have for him. 
Storms are going to come and hit the bridge. You know, there's going to be rain, there's going to be wind. But actually, Jesus, the bridge, holds strong and firm. You'll be able to walk across it if you keep going with him. Lock to him. Throw away the key. Jesus has the victory. So that's two things he's going on. He's encouraging uh, these people to do. And the final one, actually, is the one I'm going to spend a little bit more time on than those other two. And it's this. He says we should connect. Connect as a community. And there's actually quite a lot of let us that relate to this point. Three, in fact. He says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another even more as we see the day approaching. We are in a world that is in such desperate need of good connections. Loneliness, isolation, anxiety are all increasing and who can blame it with some of the stuff that perhaps we've had to face with COVID. But the answer is when we come and we commit is to do that in community. We connect with God and connect with one another in loving relationships that spur one another on. That's like a really active level of encouragement, that word spur. It's like, you know, almost like pushing people, come on, you can do this, keep going. And it's towards love and good deeds. I don't know if you know this, but it's been said, what you spend your time reading or listening to and the people you spend time with are the two biggest influences that shape who you are. There was a study that was done once, a group of researchers I was studying teenage buying behaviour. I love this. Um, and students were shown this really, they deliberately made this pair of jeans very different to anything else that was out there. They were asked to give their honest feedback and they just showed them this pair of jeans. Uh, and the feedback was overwhelmingly negative. Some of the feedback even said they were the worst pair of jeans that had ever been seen. Instead of changing the design, because that wasn't the purpose of study, they then, unbeknownst to the people that they asked, at this school, they paid the popular, highly influential people to wear these jeans regularly over the next month without sharing that they were being paid to wear them to the student body. They went back, asked the same question, guess what the response was? Overwhelmingly positive. People were desperate to know where they could get hold of a pair of those jeans. It's really difficult to underestimate the impact of people around you that you look to. And I don't believe it changes that much as we get older as well. We are still strongly influenced. So what is the antidote? I wonder if you've ever done a spiritual relational inventory. Sounds really posh, doesn't it? But have you ever asked yourself, who are the people that spur me on in my faith that help me to live better? And have you ever thought about, actually, how much time do I spend 
listening or spending time with them. I want to encourage you to think about that. Call them, if you had a VIPs, what about SIPs? Spiritually important people. Make a list of people that ignite your passion and your faith and have you living more like Jesus. Be aware of who they are. And then think, how can I invest and make sure I spend time engaging and listening to them? You might also want to think about who are the SNPs, not those of the members of the Scottish National Party, but who are the spiritual neutral people in your life. They may enjoy your passion and they might be nice people to hang out with people that boost your ego, but they're not people that excite you, that push you on. Good people to hang around with, but we need to be careful that they don't let us drift away. And perhaps there are people you know that are SDPs. That's another political party, isn't it? But you know what I mean. Spiritually draining people. People that for whatever reason just sap you of passion or commitment to God. Just be aware of who they are. All people are to be loved and cared for in God's church and God's community. I wouldn't worry too much about who's on what list. One person's SDP might be somebody else's SIP. But just be aware of it and actually connect and commit and be with people that are going to spur you on and encourage you with that. Perhaps if you're struggling with your SIPs, you've got work to do. Patrick mentioned it earlier, but one of the great ways that we help develop or encourage people to develop relationships is with small groups. If you want to, you can come and talk to me. There's even going to be a QR code that goes on the screen now. And hopefully it will go on at the end of the service as well. It just takes you to a form. You can write your name, answer one or two questions, and we'll get in touch and try and connect you with a group of other people that you can just chat and talk about godly things with. They are absolutely brilliant. If you're not ready for that and you're struggling with SIPs, if there's something you're passionate about that you want to do, what's to stop you coming to us or letting other people know, say, hey, I want to do this. Start something up. Do something that helps you to invest and grow and connect with other people in your relationship with God. I'm sure many of you have heard this analogy before. It's a story that the famous John Stott, don't worry if you don't know who John Stott is, he used to use, and I'm reusing it here. It's a a story he used to tell of a pastor that went to see a member of his church family that had stopped coming to church and kind of lost his way. So I'm going to see him. He was invited in and they went and sat in front of a fireplace. But nobody really knew what to say and they just sat in silence. Eventually, the pastor picked up the fireplace tongs and pulled out a glowing coal from the fire and placed it on the hearth in front of it. After a few moments, that coal stopped glowing red hot. It turned gray and ash and then eventually went out. The minister then picked up the coal again and popped it back in the fire. In a few moments, It was glowing red hot again. The pastor left, the point was made, and the man started coming back to the church community.
How brightly are you glowing at the moment? What can you do about it? One final thing to say, because I've kind of touched on actually, what are you doing to keep yourself burning and glowing hot? But in these passages, the phrase used is one another. We are called not just to be people that receive spurring on and encouragement as being part of the community. That's also the type of people that we, that you, are called to be. People that encourage and spur one another on, that help give light and heat to those around you. I want to finish with some words of Jesus. From John's Gospel, he says this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Let's be a community that comes to God, that commits to him, but that connects with one another in love. This is my own summary of the reading that we had today in a few words. Enter into a close relationship with God. Do it through trusting in the sacrifice of Jesus. Spend time with him, knowing that he has made you pure and worthy to be in his presence. Come to God and don't give up. He won't let go of you. He has the victory. But do this in community. Don't give up the habit of meeting together, but invest in godly relationships. Help build a community of encouragement and motivation to follow in Jesus' footsteps of acting in love, in grace, and in truth. That's a good New Year's resolution if you've given up on your one or haven't really made one yet. Amen.